Hey everybody! You are listening to the Creative BioLabs podcast, the show that introduces the basics about stem cells and their broad applications. Please contact us if you have any questions or suggestions. And don't forget to subscribe to follow the latest updates. Dear friends in the audience, welcome to our program. Today, our special guest on the podcast is Dr. Benjamin Smith, who needs no introduction. Let's give him a warm welcome. Welcome, Benjamin. Thank you, Connie. It's a pleasure to be here once again. Good to see you. Welcome back, Benjamin. In our previous two episodes, Dr. Smith provided us with a comprehensive overview of embryonic hematopoiesis. Today, we'll shift our focus to red blood cells. Erythropoiesis is undoubtedly a complex and multi-step process, involving the transformation of hematopoietic stem cells into fully mature red blood cells. Could you please provide a brief overview of this process? Certainly. Erythropoiesis is a tightly regulated process that begins when multipotent hematopoietic stem cells commit to the erythroid lineage. It then progresses through a series of steps, including the differentiation of early erythroid progenitors into late erythroid progenitors, leading to the ultimate enucleation and maturation of red blood cells. It's worth noting that this process is highly orchestrated. It starts with the appearance of erythroid cells in the blood islands of the yolk sac during ontogeny, reflecting its crucial role in early development. Subsequently, different anatomical sites, such as the fetal liver and bone marrow, become involved in erythropoiesis. Thanks for your introduction. I guess such a complicated process must be completed step by step. So, what are the different stages of erythropoiesis during mammalian embryonic development? Hematopoietic progenitors appear in four waves. The formation of blood islands in the extraembryonic mesoderm is the first wave. The primitive erythroblasts are large and nucleated and express embryonic hemoglobin type epsilon 2 zeta 2. The second wave occurs in the intraembryonic mesoderm, primarily in the region of the pariota splangna pleura. This region later becomes the aortogonad mesonephros. The third wave occurs in the fetal liver, with long-lasting hematopoietic activity eventually returning to the bone marrow. Erythrocytes from the yolk sac enter the circulation mostly as nucleated cells, whereas the cells entering the circulation from the fetal liver and bone marrow are enucleated. You made it very clear. So, which wave of red blood cells dominates throughout fetal life? Definitive erythropoiesis in the fetal liver is characterized by the production of enucleated red blood cells, quickly becoming the dominant cells in the embryonic circulation. The switch to fetal hemoglobin types also occurs at the initiation of definitive erythropoiesis. However, yolk sac-derived primitive erythroblasts can also enucleate in the circulation of a mouse embryo and persist throughout gestation. It is unlikely that all blood cell types develop from hematopoietic stem cells in the bone marrow of adults. Erythroid progenitors undergo a series of maturation stages before becoming reticulocytes in the bone marrow, each stage associated with well-defined morphological characteristics in the cytoplasm and nucleus of precursor cells. Such cells are distinguishable after right stain. 
At the final stage of the maturation process, there is a dramatic reduction in cell size, with basophilic pronormoblasts losing their nuclei to become reticulocytes. Reticulocytes then enter the blood circulation as fully mature red blood cells. I see. I've heard that the in vivo development of the mammalian blood system has been well studied. Would you mind telling us a bit more? Not at all. There have been numerous research advances involving mouse embryonic stem cells and subsequent gene knockout mouse models. It is a good idea to inactivate or delete genes required for the formation of the circulatory system because it has contributed to a better understanding of the biology of blood formation from the early embryonic stage to adulthood. The complex process of erythropoiesis is accompanied by dramatic changes in gene expression and cell morphology. When it comes to a feedback loop mechanism, erythropoietin is a key factor. Erythropoietin is a hormone produced in the kidney and liver that can stimulate the production of red blood cells in the bone marrow in response to hypoxia stress. Promoting the survival and expansion of erythroid progenitors is one mechanism of the action of erythropoietin. Other factors are also important during erythropoiesis, including retinoic acid and dexamethasone. In the murine system, the transcription factor GATA1 is an essential regulator of erythroid lineage commitment and terminal differentiation. I understand. The need for transfusable red blood cells has driven research into the in vitro generation of erythrocytes from various adult stem cell sources, including umbilical cord blood, peripheral blood, and bone marrow. Could you tell us more about erythrocytes generated from adult stem cells in vitro? Sure. CD34 positive cells from cord blood, peripheral blood, and bone marrow can be differentiated into erythrocytes with a 95% purity. The culture conditions include erythropoietin, stem cell factor, and interleukin-3. Co-culturing with a mouse stromal cell line or human mesenchymal stem cells results in enucleation, meaning these cells possess the hallmarks of mature red blood cells. These erythrocytes exhibit similar properties to normal red blood cells, including membrane deformation capacity, enzymatic content, and balanced adult or fetal hemoglobin. Additionally, they can bind and release oxygen. In immunodeficient mice, erythrocytes survive in vivo and are detectable. Compared to stem cells from cord blood, those from peripheral blood and bone marrow have limited expansion capacity. However, the use of adult peripheral blood and bone marrow cells is advantageous as they may be easier to obtain and display the mature form of hemoglobin. This is in contrast to cells from cord blood that express only fetal globin. You are right. A report discusses the in vitro differentiation and expansion of mouse embryonic stem cells into erythrocytes. What should we learn from this? In this study, it was found that co-culturing mouse embryonic stem cells with OP9 cells, which are mouse stromal cell line deficient in macrophage colony stimulating factors, is sufficient to induce erythroid cell production without the need for additional exogenous cytokines. Erythropoiesis in this system occurs in two waves. The first wave comprises large nucleated cells, considered primitive erythrocytes, 
and the second wave consists of small nucleated erythroblasts or enucleated mature blood cells, morphologically identical to definitive erythrocytes, expressing only adult globin. I see. Well, it appears that embryoid body-based culture systems favor the expansion of erythrocytes. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. The embryoid body-based culture system can expand erythroblasts produced by mouse embryonic stem cells several million-fold. These embryoid bodies form when mouse embryonic stem cells are plated on ultra-low binding plates, preventing them from attaching to the surface. Instead, they cluster and attach to each other in a 3D suspension, mimicking the in vivo environment. These embryoid bodies are cultured in the presence of serum, dissociated, and purified in serum-free liquid culture. They are terminally differentiated using erythroid cytokines and express adult hemoglobin. Exposure to a high concentration of erythropoietin, transferrin, and insulin leads to enucleation. When transplanted into mice, these erythroblasts show faster maturation and better nucleated cell morphology than cells cultured in vitro. It's worth noting that erythroblasts mature significantly faster in the fetal liver than in vitro culture conditions. This suggests that while full maturation can be achieved in vitro, further research is needed to better understand the mechanisms of erythroid differentiation and to develop improved expansion protocols. Thank you for sharing this information about erythrocytes generated from mouse embryonic stem cells. How about erythrocytes generated from human embryonic stem cells? Human embryonic stem cells hold the potential for creating an inexhaustible source of universal blood, but there are challenges to efficiently and cost-effectively producing large-scale red blood cells for clinical applications. Achieving full maturation in vitro is a major hurdle. Unlike studies with mouse embryonic stem cells, erythrocytes generated from human embryonic stem cells are mostly nucleated and express little or no adult beta-globin. However, there have been significant advances in the large-scale differentiation of human embryonic stem cells into red blood cells. What research breakthroughs have been made in this area? In vitro differentiation of erythroblasts has been achieved with human embryonic stem cells. Typically, human embryonic stem cells are co-cultured with stromal cells in vitro, and then CD34-positive cells are isolated and further expanded or differentiated. However, this approach typically generates erythroblasts on a small scale. There is a method that can produce a large number of mostly nucleated and large erythroblasts. This method involves co-culturing human embryonic stem cells with serum and human fetal liver cells, followed by co-culture with a mouse stromal cell line. The erythroblasts generated through this process do not express beta-globin chains, indicating that they are primitive or fetal erythrocytes. One challenge with this method is that it is unclear. How many human embryonic stem cells are needed to generate 50,000 CD34 positive cells? and the use of serum and two different feeder cells makes large-scale production suboptimal. While serum can provide the necessary growth factors for red blood cell differentiation, its indeterminate composition can lead to difficulties with reproducibility and low efficiency. I see the challenges. 
Is it possible to culture red blood cells on a large scale without using serum? Yes, it is feasible to generate functional hemangioblasts from human embryonic stem cells and develop a serum-free culture system on a large scale with high purity. Hemangioblasts are common precursor cells for both hematopoietic and endothelial cell lineages. These unique progenitor cells have the advantage of efficiently generating burst-forming units erythroid and colony-forming units erythroid colonies when cultured in a serum-free medium designed for colony-forming cells. This opens up the possibility of investigating whether hemangioblasts can serve as intermediates in erythropoiesis on a clinically relevant scale. I see. What are the key factors for obtaining red blood cells efficiently? There are three critical elements. First, it's crucial to efficiently generate hemangioblasts without disrupting their colony-forming environment. Second, hemangioblasts should be expanded into erythrocytes at a high cell density. And third, the culture should be carried out in a semi-solid medium containing methylcellulose to provide optimal conditions for maximum amplification capacity and high erythroid purity. Using this method, human embryonic stem cells can be utilized to generate large numbers of red blood cells. This erythroid population is mostly nucleated. Nearly 100% positive for glycoferin A, expresses ABO antigen, and has a very high hemoglobin content. Additionally, a fraction of spontaneously enucleated cells exhibits the same size and morphology as mature human erythrocytes. These human embryonic stem cell-derived erythroid cells behave similarly to normal red blood cells. With further research and data, Human embryonic stem cell-derived erythroblasts may become a promising source of functional red blood cells in the future. As we wrap up, could you explain the significance of being committed to large-scale red blood cell production? Certainly. Limitations in the supply of red blood cells can have potentially life-threatening consequences for certain patients, such as those with massive blood loss due to trauma or surgery, or individuals suffering from diseases that lead to severe anemia. While alternative sources of progenitors for large-scale, transfused red blood cells have been explored, it's evident that even after expansion and differentiation, these progenitors represent donor-limited sources of red blood cells. Furthermore, the diversity of blood types in the general population further complicates the consequences of blood shortages during emergencies. Fortunately, human embryonic stem cells and human-induced pluripotent stem cells offer a new source of stem cells that can be reproduced and expanded in vitro indefinitely. This provides a potentially inexhaustible source of red blood cells for human therapy. Thank you for the enlightening discussion, Connie. I hope our listeners found this podcast informative. We'll conclude our discussion here today, and there will be more intriguing topics awaiting us in future programs. Until next time. Thank you, Benjamin. We look forward to the next episode. See you next time.